0: Hi! Welcome to Offscript, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show we'll be reviewing uh, the new DC Cinematic Universe film Shazam! We're also going to take a look at the next kind of entry in the Stephen King universe, if there is a Stephen King film universe, uh, Pet Cemetery from Paramount Pictures. We're going to talk about summer movies, things that are coming out May, June, and July, and we're just going to do a quick look at some of these trailers we've seen, some things that are coming out, things you've heard of, and things you haven't, so stick around for that, and before we do all of it, we need to talk about the news, and the very first story actually it isn't on the outline, because I just want to indulge myself for a second. Uh, we are both recording from our apartments, which is wild, and we haven't done this in like a hundred episodes so uh, <laughs> yeah not a whole lot to say about that other than uh the space we were using before is no longer viable rest assured we're sticking with this show despite the fact that we don't have that many people listening we're, we're gonna keep doing it so you know h- hang out for a while subscribe to the show while you're at it and 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 say keep it on off script for more the first story we have avengers endgame pre-sales blast off set first hour records ticket sites are crashing andy you tried to get in on this right you tried to buy tickets early or did buy tickets early i'm not sure i am being a chump and waiting until like the monday after it comes out and hoping i can sneak in uh on the cheap tell me how you came across this what are, what, are, what are we looking at what are the numbers here
1: um, well, I'm not re- real sure on the numbers, but some of those that I have read is that uh, the Avengers Endgame sold more tickets in the first uh, kind of few hours than the Infinity War sold in its entire run of these pre- some of these presale tickets, something right. like some crazy number like that. Like, and I looked ahead. I mean, I was late to the game. I didn't realize that they were selling them. So by the time I looked, like everything was already booked. Um, so I'm probably going to wait just a little bit closer. And, uh, you know, because everyone's going to be showing it. There's going to be tons of screenings. I'm not worried about getting getting a, uh, a thing in there. But this is massive. It broke tons of online v- vendors. Everyone was giving it the hug of death trying to get their tickets. Um, so that's huge. <laughs> and And we already know Infinity War was a massive movie. And this is going to be even bigger. It's got even more hype and more... Excitement around it But it's It's lacking something That I think is a really good thing It's lacking the kind of Expectations people put Behind something like A Star Wars Or Or a Batman film That you know People give it these Kind of larger than life Expectations And then They're disappointed There's this weird Kind of Now I don't want to say There's not excitement But there's Not the kind of excitement That that people Kind of go overboard with And which is a good thing Because it means You're going to enjoy The movie so much more
0: I am surprised I guess no, I'm still surprised. I am. I'm surprised every time this happens with a movie because people act like movies are dying and, and Netflix is killing cinema and whatever, but despite that, a movie comes along like Avengers Endgame and it only took 22 other films to build up an incredible universe to this one final big, big blockbuster of a piece, but I'm surprised that people still buy out this fast, like that this beat uh, the, day's worth of, the first day sales for Force Awakens, it beat it in six hours. Adam Tickets said this is the most they've ever sold and achieved a record in less than half a day. AMC's website crashed. Regal Entertainment had problems selling sticks because of this thing. I, I don't get it. I guess what I don't get is uh, I, I look at Twitter when an iPhone comes out, right? And there's this whole little subculture of people who are all about ordering the iPhone first, staying up till 2 a.m. or whatever. I got to order that iPhone and then I can go to sleep. There's like a whole community around it. I don't see that. With Avengers. Like, I don't. I don't see people on Twitter. I don't see it tw- trending. Get your uh, tickets now. Like, it doesn't happen. But somehow, uh, so many people are doing it, despite the need for any kind of central community. Um, I guess, I guess this says a lot about the film, I suppose. Yeah, and, I, and...
1: it says a lot about the film, and it says a lot about what Marvel has done, that everyone has just put their faith, and they know they're going to be in for a good time. They know it's going to be epic. And we haven't seen hardly anything. Like, the amount of... Of uh, marketing has been actually quite tame for something this big. Usually, you would have a whole six month campaign, and you know you would slowly get more and more footage. And it's been the opposite; they've shown very little. We know zero about how this plot is going to resolve. Um, but the people are still excited, and so I think that's a really good thing. It's really cool, just how that they've marketed this film to gather this much excitement, but still kind of keep like i said keep it from going the star wars route where people are like going overboard
0: our next story uh justice warns warns the academy against suppressing competition in oscar awards uh, the justice department has warned the academy of motion picture arts and sciences yes the, the oscar awards people you, you're thinking of the right one the potential rule changes affecting awards from netflix and other streaming services could be an antitrust violation oh boy capitalism. I love talking about this stuff on our movie podcast. Uh, Andy, what do you what do you know about this?
1: Okay, so right after Netflix won th- their Oscars for Roma, um, you know, Steven people like Steven Spielberg came out saying we need new rules. Netflix is just gaming the system. We have to change it so they don't don't just do that. Which they are totally not doing. They are following the rules set by the Academy, just like every other movie does. Um, but anyways, this talk of changing the rules got the attention of the Department of, of Justice, who came in and said this could be a violation of antitrust laws, meaning that there's a conspiracy to stifle competition against Netflix, and that if they go through with these rule changes, like I said, it could be a violation of, of antitrust laws, which are... are uh, designed to stop monopolies. Uh, the, mo- the most famous one for theaters is the Universal vs. United States, where that they said a film studio cannot own a theater chain. Um, so this is kind of in that same vein of making sure that competition uh, flows freely.
0: Right. And the whole deal here, for anybody who isn't familiar with trust laws, is that any association that includes multiple competitors in its membership uh, has to have certain eligibility requirements so that Everybody can participate. If you block people out, that's implying that you are somehow exclusive to an industry, and that's a trust which you can't have. Uh, It's funny that this has reached this point. I don't think anything... I can't imagine, like, the Supreme Court saying, "All right, we're cracking down on the Oscars. This is the year. Like, I I don't think that's gonna happen, but... I appreciate the warning. I I appreciate the, hey, we see what you're doing over there on Twitter slamming Netflix. We see you, Steven Spielberg. We don't like what you're up to, so... Um, I don't know man I, I guess I love a good underdog and I always will and, and I know Netflix might be I don't know Netflix might be killing cinema but supposedly Netflix might be killing cinema and for what it's worth um, I don't know I support him <laughs> why not I believe in it uh, our last story actually surprise surprise isn't a story it's a trailer it's like a surprise <laughs> it's, a, it's a surprise segment of the trailer park found this trailer actually the whole world found it but you're very excited about it That's I right. want to steal your thunder please <laughs> take it away
1: so last week we got the first glimpse at Todd Phillips standalone Joker film starring Joaquin Phoenix smile
0: though your heart is aching smile
1: this thing looks great. I was really blown away. And the trailer is supposed to do a lot of things. It's supposed to not only kind of give you the premise of the film, but also tell you a little bit about tone and style and uh, that ki- that kind of thing. So we got the first glimpse into Walking Phoenix character as the Joker, and we get this trailer where... He looks like a uh, kind of lonely, anti-social person. He, he lives with his his mom, and, uh, you know, he just slowly is abused. There's violence towards him, and it just kind of portrays him slowly unraveling mentally and turning into the Joker, and it gives us a huge amount of, of style. You know, there's references to great comic book properties as well as several Scorsese films. Uh, this thing looks great. I'm incredibly excited about it. Uh, Zach, what do you think?
0: Uh, See, this is one of the great things about having a movie podcast, like, off script, because you can get both sides of the story, right? You can get the optimist, (laughs) like Andy, who's very excited. You can get the cynic, like me, who's skeptical. (laughs) That's right. Uh, I don't know, man. And and I agree with exactly what I said, like, 15 episodes ago when they first announced this thing. And I was like, I'm sorry, the director of The Hangover is is doing a serious, dark comic book film. I'm not seeing it. I still don't, and I'll tell you why. Because I've been burned, Andy. I've been burned by too many trailers (laughs) that have been awesome, and then I go see the movie, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, This trailer does look really good. That is undeniably true. And and I believe that Joaquin Phoenix probably wouldn't jump onto a role if he didn't think it was really good. I don't think he would jump into superhero films if he didn't think there was a really cool kind of interesting angle to approach it from. Obviously, he believed in this script. Obviously, the the cinematographer believed in the film. Like, the look of it, the feel of it all looks great. But a trailer is a trailer. And a trailer can have editing that a film can't. (laughs) And and I don't know for sure what to expect from this thing yet. I'm (laughs) cautiously optimistic, uh, mostly pessimistic i think and that's my thoughts on the joker trailer any idea well i know it's a teaser any idea when we're supposed to get another one any announcements about this I stuff mean,
1: so it comes out in october so i imagine probably another uh two three months we'll we'll get another one um i'm optimistic because one of the things a comic book movie should do is kind of pull from from the comic book world and translate that into the real world a, an excellent example of this is logan um, the Wolverine movie from a few years ago where it pulls from the uh, old man L- Logan comic book art, took those elements, rewrote them and remade them in the real world. And that's, and that's what I saw a lot of in this trailer. We we have references to The Killing Joke, to uh, The Dark Knight Returns, uh, as, as well as other properties. And it, it just, it has everything that I would look for. Also, it could it could very well easily not be a comic book movie like the way it's set up. It, you could just it could be an independent film about like some guy who slowly loses his mind because of society or something. You know, it has uh, references to kind of Taxi Driver as well. So there's a lot of the reasons in there of why I'm hyped. I'm not just hyped because I want to be hyped. Um, but there's a lot of things in the, in the in the trailer that um, impress me as as a comic book lover and as a film lover.
0: Speaking of comic books, we should talk about our first film of the
1: the show, today's
0: show. Uh, Andy, please, you agree to take the summary on this one. Take it away. Uh, this is
1: DC's Shazam. Wait, for real? Shazam! Okay! Shazam? T- so Shazam is the... Uh, Earth's Mightiest Mortal, a uh, DC comic book property. Um, this is really confusing because he was known as Captain Marvel for a long time, and only in the, in the last decade or so was he officially changed to Shazam. So a little bit of a confusion in, in the comic book history of the character. Um, anyways, the story is uh, we meet a young Billy Batson who's a 14-year-old teenager. He's a foster kid. He's bounced around from home to home. He doesn't stay put. He doesn't... He's got abandonment issues, and uh, he's got trouble staying in a home. Eventually, he's placed in in this one large group home where he doesn't really like anyone and is just kind of a difficult person. Uh, but eventually, kind of befriends be uh, Freddie Freeman, who's there with him. And, uh, you know, one day at school, Freddie's getting picked on. Billy jump, jumps in, kind of beats up the bad guys. And then soon after, he's transported to this kind of magical lair where he meets the wizard Shazam. And Shazam tells him, "You are pure of heart. I will. Te- I will. I have chosen you as champion. Say my name, so my powers may flow through you. And now, whenever Billy says Shazam, he turns into this adult superhero that has a lot of Superman-esque powers, but also it's, they're more exp- inspired by uh, you know Greek mythology. He has the power of Zeus, the speed of Mercury, the you know strength of Atlas. Uh, these kinds of things." So what we end up getting is this uh, kind of Tom Hanks big in superhero form. We have an immature 14-year-old in an adult superhero body. And what that leads to is we get, we get a lot of fun. There's tons of humor in this movie. Um, and that's the basic setup. And then kind of the rest of the film deals with Billy discovering what it's what it really means to be a superhero, what it means to kind of care about other people, to care about family. And we also have excellent performances by uh, Mark Strong as the bad guy, uh, Dr. Savannah. So that long-winded explanation is the setup. Zach, what did you think? Man, I am stunned at how much I like this movie.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I mean, I'm always I'm almost always skeptical going in and like I saw what DC was doing from the cheap seats we could see it, right? From when the first trailer came out, we thought to ourselves, Okay, they're going for like a goofy Marvel esque kind of movie. And it is. Kinda, but it's got just enough of a different sheen. It comes in at just enough of a different angle. It's fresh. It's exciting. It's engaging. It kept me hooked for a two-hour and twelve-minute runtime, which is a big ask for watching two movies a week for a movie podcast. I was into it. Andy,
1: what did you think? Um, I I was actually a little skeptical the first act. I I did not. Uh, I wasn't really on board with it. I thought the writing was a little weak, and I was a little unsure. But the longer it went the more i liked it and by the third act i I thought it was really strong um this movie is funny man like my theater was just like erupting with laughter all throughout there's a lot of really good good gags good jokes um you know again you get the whole big thing this immature person in a in a superhero body um so there's just lots of really good gags it has a lot of heart too it's strangely dark unnecessarily maybe uh in certain parts uh maybe too much the other way but um it's it's so much fun and 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 again dc has done something right they've introduced this new character um everyone you know most people have liked the movie it it was number one at the box office it's been greenlit for a sequel um this movie did a, a lot right and i think it's taken dc in a positive direction just like something like aquaman did
0: Man, uh, you're so right on the funny. And I think maybe that's where we should kind of start digging into this review is the writing. Uh, The story of Shazam is, I think, pretty simple. I mean, it's just like any other superhero, right? Like, unassuming kid uh, with a name that has the same starting letters uh, in his first and last name. Billy Batson, Peter Parker. uh, uh, I don't know. Clark Kent. I know it's a C and a K, but... Uh, it's a simple story, right? But the way we get there and we learn about these characters is what's so interesting. Billy Batson is supposed to be very pure of heart. Of course, he's, 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 he gets there over the course of the film. That's one of those things you kind of, you know, naturally in, in any protagonist, they have to overcome something within themselves. Uh, I, I... I'm really, I'm really spinning my wheels here. Is what I'm doing. Dig me out of this, Sandy. I don't know. I lost my train of thought. I don't know where <laughs> I'm going.
1: Um, so this is a smaller budget movie than something like Aquaman. Aquaman had like you know 150 200 million dollars CGI budget to have these massive battles. This film does not have that kind of budget, and so everything had to be uh, in the writing. You know, it it had to be in the characters and in the story, and and that's exactly what we get. Um, yeah. It's a goofy. Go
0: ahead. Sorry, I, I got it back.
1: It's a goofy approach uh, because you're basically making
0: a movie about a 14 year old kid. Uh, it's very similar to something like Big in a lot of ways, which is referenced in the film, along with a couple other clever, clever Easter eggs, so keep an eye out. Uh, you, your main exchanges are going to be a, along the lines of a 14 year old kid talking to other kids. Uh, Billy Batson is a member of a group foster home. So you've got a handful of kids in this uh, menagerie that he talks to. Uh, the kid from IT, played by Brian David Adamson. That's not his name. I don't know his name. Uh, a couple of the characters. You, you get a little bit of diversity in there. Uh, you get an older gal, you get a very young girl. Um, it, it's a good opportunity to kind of bounce bounce ideas off the walls and and come at things from different angles. You have it. You have a handicapped kid, which has a handful of handicapped jokes that come with it, which are undeniably a little funny for all of for all of the jokes it makes because it makes a lot of jokes., uh, there are a good handful that land. I, I I laughed more than a dozen times out loud in theater, which I can't remember the last time that happened in a theater in, in a movie for me, in a theater. Um, at the same time, there were definitely a handful of eye rolls. So I was like, oh God, like this this gag is not funny, and they're really they're really going for it. And I think, for anybody writing a comedy, it's important to have a good mix of that right Like you, you got to have the good with the bad, you got to have the funny with the non-funny. Um, and, and that that translates over to the writing of the movie as a whole. Uh, this movie is inverse, right Like in the way Marvel makes their 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 films, you've got a whole lot of serious right at the bottom and then you've got the top layer the the icing on this cake is uh, uh, funny comedy goofy. This movie is the opposite. The the base of it is a funny, goofy, fourteen year old kid in an adult body comedy. The top of it is serious superhero stuff, and like it totally works in the best way. And I ripped off that analogy from somebody else. But uh, what do you what do you think about that?
1: Um. Yeah. It, it just the, the humor really worked for me, and like you said, not all the jokes land, but they land more often than they don't. And it, it's it, again, it's such a breath air. Breath, breath of fresh air after the seriousness of, and darkness of Batman v Superman and even Man of Steel, which I, I really like Man of Steel and I keep I wanted to believe it's a better movie than it is, but <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> um, every time I watch it, I think it's gonna do it's gonna do something different. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it, it it it's something new. It's something different. It has a lot of humor and and again, it's different because Marvel did the humor thing first, but it's it's a different kind. It's a different style. Um, and it's just a different kind of movie. And and we're at a point where we have to do things we haven't seen. Because we've seen the stock kind of, you know, uh, Superman, Batman origin story. And, like, we know those characters so well to the point that they're kind of boring now. And we have to see new things and go in new directions. I appreciate that
0: this movie was able to, speaking of new directions, able to... Basically, plant its foot in a in a uh, industry that is full of diversity and 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 pleasing different audiences, and say, you know, what? we're not going to try to do any of that. We're just going to make a, a, a goofy comedy. We're not gonna we're not gonna make like, cause cause the, you know, Wonder Woman came out and it was like, well, this is the this is the superhero movie for women, and Black Panther came out, and like, well, this is the superhero movie for Black. people. Nope, this one's about a white dude and his friends, a white dude, and, and they live in a house with a lot of diversity, and and that's where you get a lot of that that coming in but like it really doesn't it really doesn't go out of its way to try to do anything um super su- super odd i guess or super unique there's there's definitely some jokes in there and some references um that, that are engaging i think to diverse audiences but ultimately like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really try it just yeah it's not pandering somehow it's unapologetic in that way and therefore funny it reminded me a lot of like deadpool or iron man yeah uh, exactly similar, similar kind of feels to it
1: uh, one of the things I wanted to mention... Um, it- I've complained in the past before that a lot of times comic book movies will not have comic book moments, and you know I, I kind of describe those as like page turns when page you re- turn yeah 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 you know you turn the page and there's this incredible quote or there's a bad guy you haven't seen in a while or you know something incredible happens the,
0: the building blows up or something yeah like something huge happens on a page turn
1: yeah you yeah. know the, these surprise and shocking moments and Shazam has exactly that it has a few moments where people in my theater were gasping. Uh, on a couple of points it it has those nice uh surprises and and things that go in different directions so you're not just kind of predicting what everything's going to be because when i when i was in the first act i thought that that's what it was going to be a little bit and i I was a little unsure but it definitely uh, found its own stride and like i said went in new directions uh towards the end
0: yeah there's an interesting layer of what i would describe as something like horror in here Um, yes not to get not to get too far into it but you know this movie is supposed to be uh they they get as many gags as they can out of uh this kid is 14 and he's walking around in an adult body. Like at one point they go to the gas station try to buy beer, of course, and like that's a funny scene. Uh, they they're, they're trying to make money, they're cutting class. Like it's a it's a very kind of sophomore comedy, but but just just under that a little bit. It's a little bit of horror, just, just a hair, just a hair horror, which I think is okay. Yeah. Think kids, kids will go see this, and I think it's a good stepping stone into stuff like that. Uh, this, this movie was directed by David Gordon Green, the director of Lights Out and Annabelle Creation, um, and it shows. There's there's just a, just a touch of it in there. Um, there's also, uh, it's worth mentioning, there's definitely an Annabelle in this movie in a very early scene in a pawn shop, <laughs> which is weird. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, didn't uh, even I didn't notice. catch it, but I read about it later, so keep an eye out for that. Um, and that horror stuff is okay. I, I really think it is. It, it gives it gives it gives your movie flavor, right? Variety, a little bit of spice, a little bit of like, oh, oh, god, okay, that happened. Uh, and in a way, it's never too never too spooky, right? But it's it's just 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 creepy enough in a couple scenes that, that kind of kind of sets off your radar, and I appreciated that.
1: Mm-hmm. What did you think of the two big leads, uh, Zachary Levi and Mark Strong?
0: Uh, my, let's start with Mark Strong. Mark Strong was okay. Uh, I'm convinced he should never, ever, ever do anything but his normal British accent ever. I, I I've never seen a, a film with him in it where he didn't do the British accent that I thought it was convincing. I'm always, like, <laughs> it, it, it's just, he's kind of typecast that way. And I, I feel bad for the guy, but it is what it is in the same way. Like Hugh Jackman is typecast to have an American accent. Like he just is. Like that's just what people think of when they think of him. They don't think, Oh yeah, he's from Australia and has an accent. They just think, Oh yeah, he's Hugh Jackman. Um so Mark Strong was tough, but you know, for he man, he leans into that cheesy villain. And oh, I he
1: loved that. it. He's having a good he, time. Yeah,
0: he he was he was chewing that scenery and and I appreciated that because that you know, it's a fun movie and that was good stuff. Zachary Levi was fantastic. As a fourteen-year-old kid, uh, he was really good. I I, I liked him a lot. Um, there, like I said, there's lines that don't land, but there's also a lot of lines that do. So for what it's worth, like I really enjoyed his performance. I thought it was great. He should he should get more work.
1: Yeah, I I, I, th- I thought he did did a great job as well. Really funny. Really captures that awkward. Teenage you know security slash overconfidence at the same time and just general immaturity it's really fun it works Uh, You know one of the great jokes is that they can't really come up with a name for him Or originally so they keep kind of throwing names out there throughout the throughout the movie and they all fall flat But it's it's just another good running gag as far as mark strong is is concerned uh, like I said where he's having a lot of fun He's leaning into the the character a lot um That villain, it's interesting because that villain was supposed to be The Rock. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was originally supposed to be a character named Black Adam, who's a a Egyptian, kind of an Egyptian version of of Shazam has the same powers. About five years ago, it was announced that he was going to be this character in Shazam. And uh, and for one reason or another, it's just fallen through, which is unfortunate. And I I would love to see the The Rock do a role like that, but I don't know if we will.
0: Well, he was really stoked on it. I remember him posting about it on Instagram. That was a whole thing. But a couple things. One, uh, obviously, this production schedule stepped on Jumanji 2. And two, uh, man, he's expensive. And like, even, <laughs> I, like not yeah, clear. you know, This, this is going to sound like I'm digging on this movie, and I'm not. Because it, it works in spite of it. This movie does not have a big budget, and it leans into it. They use the writing; they're they're clever, they're smart, they're funny. Like that's what makes it work. It doesn't have an Aquaman budget, and if it did, you'd probably have Aquaman casting, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But he's a yeah. little pricey; probably can't afford him. Uh, Mark Strong though, totally works. So. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll get him for the sequel. So, like, who knows? I, I would bet he'd be down to do that. I hope, anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um. Well, I think that that's all I wanted to cover. Any uh, any last thoughts before recommendations?
0: I guess the last thing I want to talk about what this movie does. And I don't really have a, a, a guideline for this, this topic. So hear me out. Maybe this is going nowhere, but I want to talk about like where this movie lands in the realm of superhero movies, right? You get, you get movies that are very somehow feel very generic. Now boilerplate Marvel movies, which is, is an odd spot for Marvel to be in because they don't want to be the boilerplate superhero movies, but they kind of are. And lately Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Shazam, Like it feels like DC is is taking an interesting step here. They're finally taking the world's advice and saying, okay, you know what? Great. We're not just going to do normal superhero movies. We're going to do something weird. We're going to do something different. And this movie breaks a lot of traditional rules for what I would expect a superhero movie to be. A fine example, that running gag you mentioned where they're, they're trying to find a good name for him. At some point, I was assuming in the movie, well, this is going to resolve itself and they're going to be like, we got it. It's Shazam. That's the name. That like That scene never happens. So, like, <laughs> yeah. and I just kept waiting. like And that, and that works because it subverts my expectations. The whole movie, the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, this is how this is going to go. And then it doesn't go that way. And that makes it an engaging experience for me because I've seen so many superhero movies already. This one's different. This one's new. This one's unique. But it doesn't do a great job of setting up the world for any kind of sequel. It just doesn't. It was just like, okay, here's our movie and we're done. And I think. I don't know if the reason that happens is because DC is just saying, "You know what? Here's here's 100 million dollars. Go make your stupid movie. If it sucks, it's just like all we just throw it in the bin <laughs> with all the others, right? And if it's good, we'll run with it." Maybe. But like I, I think I think that experimentation is important. So what I want to ask is where does this land for you in the realm of bigger of, of, of all the superhero movies you know because I would argue for me this is more memorable than most Marvel films I've seen I would argue this might be the best of the DC films I've seen so far what do you think
1: yeah it, it's definitely up there with um, you know Wonder Woman is often lauded as, as the best DC film so far uh, Aquaman made a ton of money it's not a, a really good movie it is really entertaining though. Um, it it reminds me a lot of of Deadpool. I do have a hard time remembering the Marvel movies because it's we're on 21, 22, something like that. Um, but it, it's definitely different and it's more more memorable. And it and again, it's something we haven't seen because a lot of them are like, yes, you got your powers in this. Uh, you know, crazy experiment like that's been done a lot, but here we 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 introduce kind of the realm, uh, the idea of magic into the into the universe a little bit more, which comic book movies have kind of stayed away from a little bit. Uh, we get a little bit of that with like Scarlet Witch and, and things in Marvel, but this fully embraces that. I mean, Shazam is a wizard. You know, you you say this to get his powers. You, you know, it, it's definitely. Which, by the way, Jaimon Jaimon Hansu uh, plays uh, the wizard. Um, Is that which, how you pronounce his name? Yeah, Jaimon, Jaimon, Oh my god, Hatsu. Yeah. I have
0: seen so many movies with that guy, and I had never, I, I was assumed was like Digimon, like I, <laughs> like the digital monsters. Um, anyway,
1: he was great in the movie. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, again, it's something really different. It's going in a new direction. I would love to see where a sequel could go with a little bit bigger budget, maybe get some, maybe get The Rock in there or some other kind of star. I don't think this is the kind of film that would benefit necessarily from the $200 million CGI film. It, it It's still very much about the characters.
0: I agree. Uh, I'll I'll be anxious to see what they do. I know they greenlit it for a sequel. The original writer's returning, which is great. I think David Gordon Green is going to do it again, the director. So that's great. I'm sure Zachary Levi is going to ride this train. Why wouldn't he? I mean, he's got to be he's got to be so stoked about this because yeah. that guy hadn't gotten a good role in a long time, other than Tangled is the last thing I can think of he was in. So um, good on him. I'm glad. A uh, fun movie all around. I wish they made more superhero movies like this. That's Shazam. Next up, we should talk about... Yes, I would recommend summer. Shazam. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God, you're right. We got to do recommendations. Jesus. Oh, man. See, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a whole new place. Andy, would you recommend Shazam? Uh,
1: Yes, absolutely. Had a lot of fun. It's a different kind of superhero movie. It's really funny. Lots of comedy. Good acting. A little long and maybe extra dark in some of the parts. But as we said, it's a horror director bringing some horror elements. So it's not all bad. Definitely recommend. I,
0: I would recommend it as well. Uh, I, I had a ton of fun with it. You're right about it being a little long, but that did help subvert my expectations. I didn't know where it was going. You know, we got to what felt like the climactic battle, and then it kind of doesn't happen, and it's like, okay, this is now a chase scene. Like that was really cool and and, and really engaging. Uh, I, I appreciate just. It just doesn't do what all the other movies do. It does something different, and it does it well. Uh, and it's a good movie for it. So Shazam, check it out. Worth the price of admission. We should talk about what is coming out this summer in our... I don't remember what music we use for this, but I guess we'll figure it out. Our summer, summer movie preview. <laughs> Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to look over the next three months at the box office, May, June, July. We're not going to talk about everything that comes out. We're going to hit some big things, we're going to hit some small things, and we're going to miss things. So if there's anything you want to hear about that we don't talk about, email us at mail at and let us know what you think of the movies we missed and the movies we hit, because this is your summer, just like ours, and we're all excited to be at the movies. Andy, how do you want to split this
1: up? uh why don't why don't you start with may and maybe i'll jump in about half halfway
0: all right perfect well to start with may you have to start at the end of april of course and the first thing that comes up at the end of april is Avengers Endgame on the 26th everybody's very excited we had a whole freaking news article about it we all know about Avengers it's gonna be great the next movie we need to talk about is Long Shot on the third that is the Seth Rogen Charlize Theron Romant, rom com, uh, which is you know yeah. something. Yeah, yeah,
1: it, it, it's a the political one. She's like the Secretary of State. He's a journalist. They're, right. uh, you know, uh, mismatched partners, fall in love, something like that.
0: So it's it's Pretty Woman. Uh, <laughs> Tolkien, we need to talk about. Well, I guess we did talk about that already. That is, of course, the life of J.R.R. Tolkien. John Wick Chapter Three: Parabellum or Parabellum.
1: Parabellum. I'm not sure.
0: Is it Parabellum? It's para- Is it? Parabellum means ah, right.
1: for war as opposed to uh, antebellum before war. Ah, all
0: right. Uh, John Wick, Chapter 3 on the 17th. Uh, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin on the 24th, along with a movie called Ad Astra? Or Ad, Astra?
1: Ad I'm not really sure. I think it's Ad Astra.
0: A sci-fi <laughs> film starring Brad Pitt. I hadn't heard about this before I read this outline, uh, and Andy told me about it, so keep an eye out for Adastra Adastra yeah. I don't
1: know. <laughs> can you can Bright... you do the uh, read the the description for it if you still have Oh
0: it? yeah 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 I sh- I should do that that makes sense. Uh, let's see. Uh, astronaut Roy McBride played by Brad Pitt travels to the outer edges of the solar system to find his missing father and unravel a mystery that threatens the survival of our planet. Interesting.
1: I, d- I just know that it's some big space epic. It's supposed to be a big deal. I've heard like a little bit of buzz about it for probably over a year now, so I'm excited to see what that's about.
0: You want me to finish out May or do you want to take it from
1: here? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I want to say one thing about John Wick 3. It, it has too many tags. It either needs to be John Wick 3 or John Wick Parabellum. But John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, it has like it does, multiple tags.
0: Yeah, it does look goofy. Like That's one of those things we'll review on the show and I'll have no idea how I'm supposed to title it to get it on iTunes because that's a whole, <laughs> a whole how to do. Uh, we'll figure it out though.
1: Yeah. Uh, so... End of May, uh, the 24th, we have Brightburn, which is the uh, kind of dark superhero take film from Netflix, uh, starring uh, Elizabeth Banks. Um, I can't remember who the husband is. But yeah, this is like a, a, a dark, what looks like a horror Superman tale. It it, it very much mirrors this Superman mythos, uh, you know, spaceship crash land in the middle of Kansas, but then... The hero turns out to be an evil guy. It's basically like the omen, like the superhero version of the omen. The,
0: the husband is David Denman, who played Roy in The Office. So, ah, yeah, I he's knew he Pam dumped. Yeah.
1: So that um, that looks really good. I'm really interested to see that. Uh, Smart is the uh, it's the film. Oh, it, it looks like super bad, but it's with the two girls. It's with Jonah Hill's uh, younger sister. I can't remember her name. I should have I should have linked to these people Uh, (laughs) Ellie something I'll figure it out. Yeah, uh, that looks really funny. A good, good coming of age story uh, featuring women, which we don't get enough of. uh, These two teenage girls, uh, who are you know both straight A students, and finally want to get crazy on their kind of last last night or last weekend towards the end of the school.
0: Jonah Hill's younger sister is Beanie Feldstein. She was formerly seen in *Neighbors 2*. The movie is directed by Olivia Wood
1: in her directorial debut. Um, Olivia Wilde Olivia Wilde in her directorial <laughs> debut God. and finally finishing out May is Rocketman which is the Elton John biopic starring Edgerton one of the uh, <laughs> oh man Taron Edgerton. Edgerton thank you I was, I was going to say
0: Joel as well so to be fair you got that right Uh, really interesting thing here uh, Aladdin Ad Astra uh, Bright God Brightburn I sound so stupid and Booksmart all come out on the same day uh, the twenty fourth, which is wild. A lot so going
1: be on. The
0: yeah. Uh, just real quick, if you want to call your long shot here, what are we? What are we watching that week?
1: I mean, obviously Aladdin. It... And mm-hmm. I guess we'll either, see. I want to see trailers Bright...
0: for for the other two, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean,
1: Brightburn's on Netflix, so that's yeah. an easy one.
0: I, I do want to see Smart as well, but if we can only do two on this, it's fine. Uh, June, should I, should I dig into that? Yeah, go ahead. In June, we're kicking off the month with Dark Phoenix, the next X-Men film on the 7th. And any hot takes on that?
1: Um, it They've tried to do the Phoenix saga before. It hasn't been real successful. And the last uh, X-Men, Young X-Men movie, Apocalypse, wasn't real good. So I'm a little... It looks good. The tra- again, the trailer is cut very well and looks cool and dark, but I'm a little hesitant because... Uh, x-men hasn't really had a good foot foot foothold outside of logan in the last few years
0: you gotta watch out for those cool comic book movie trailers that seem really cool and dark and edgy and deep and introspective and then turn out to be super lame when you actually get to the movie theater Mm -hmm. it's totally not a dig at joker men in black on the 14th -hmm. uh cautiously optimistic i I, I, why not i guess uh toy story (laughs) 4 on the 21st um Again, cautiously optimistic, Art of Self-Defense, starring Jesse Eisenberg, an indie film that uh, is one of those things that look it looks like I'm going to watch it on Netflix at 2 a.m. one Saturday and actually really enjoy it and think to myself, man, why didn't I go see this movie? And yesterday, uh, the Beatles throwback musical, uh, which I'm very excited about, directed by, uh, oh, God, it's a director I actually like and I forget his name. <laughs>
1: i didn't look it up either but i, I was going to comment just on so i'm excited for men in black because this is kind of a reboot and it's going to star um oh man i should really give these people i totally blanked who plays thor uh oh god
0: what is happening to us were we <laughs> i don't know in the Twilight uh,
1: zone? tessa tessa thompson is is in it who of course was in thor ragnarok chris hemsworth and, then Chris, of course, Chris Hemsworth is also uh, you know, going to be one of the agents in Men in Black. So that's cool that we're getting new blood into that, that series.
0: You know, real quick while I'm at it, sidebar. Isn't it interesting how comic book movies seem to swirl around uh, like on-screen chemistry that just sticks around for other films? You think of uh, Brie Larson's Unicorn Dream on Netflix with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and her yeah. in the title roles. That was filmed before Captain Marvel, so they obviously had a little bit of on-screen chemistry before... Captain Marvel started and then this Men in Black is picking up with exactly the on-screen chemistry from Thor Ragnarok Tessa Thompson and, and Chris Hemsworth like well just throw the two of them in a room again we know they work uh, is yep. this is this what's to be the future of Hollywood Andy instead of sequelitis, we're gonna get <laughs> on screen chemistry itis
1: yeah yeah a couple itis yeah maybe uh, moving into July, we have Spider-Man: Far From Home, uh, July fifth. So that'll be the big release for the Fourth uh, of July weekend. Um, another one on that is the comedy Stuber, starring Dave Bautista and Camille Nangiani as uh, he he's a, he plays a big cop, of course, and uh, Camille Nangiani is his Uber driver, and somehow they end up working together, and it, it looks like a silly comedy, a lot his, of fun. But his but Uber I like. Lo- dri- <laughs> Come yeah, up. I like both those actors. So his
0: Uber driver named Stu. this yeah. Kumal's character is named Stu, and he drives an Uber. Stuber. That is how you will remember a title that is horrible. But I, I appreciate what they're going for. Hey, I yeah. I, I, I like I like experimentation of comedy. Sure,
1: it is a terrible title. Um, <laughs> toward towards the end of the month, we get of course the live action Lion King or live action the remake Lion King, um, from right. Disney. Of course, that'll be a big deal. And finally, at the end of July. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: Oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Two Brad Pitt films in here, which is exciting because I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, I guess if I'm excited about any of those, it's going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because why wouldn't I be? Uh, the Lion King. Have we talked about yet whether or not that's a that's a live action film or an animated film? Have we... I just keep saying, uh,
1: you know, re-, okay. re- reimagining, remake because let's, it's let's say ha- that it's six of one, half a dozen of the other.
0: Let's save that conversation for July because I bet by then we'll have enough ammo from the internet telling us what what it is that, that we can actually talk about it for ten minutes on the podcast. But for what it's worth, man, an exciting summer at the movies, and I mean that. There's a lot of good stuff on here. There's not a lot of sequels. There's not a lot of remakes. There's some stuff in here that's original and engaging. There's some, you know, there's some derivative products as well, but for what it's worth, like I I dig it. I I like it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean a, a lot of tent pole things. And we got to remember, you know, we named about 10 titles for May and then only half as many for June and July. So the closer we get to June and July, we'll have more. Oh, you know what I just forgot? Um oh. midsummer. The uh, oh, yeah. R- the Ari Aster horror film, the director yes, of Hereditary, the, that'll the, be out in uh, in June or early July as well. The
0: spiritual sequel to Hereditary, and the only person saying that is me. I didn't read that anywhere. If you're thinking, oh God, it's like Hereditary 2. it isn't. I, I don't think. Uh,
1: so don't don't take don't take my word for it. Um, and that's still that that comes out the same weekend as Spider Man. So I guess, yeah. you know, guess we know what we're seeing. I guess we know.
0: God. That is going to be uh, a really whiplash of an episode. I think we'll save we'll save mid for our, for the second half, but we'll get there when we get there. Keep it here on Off Script. Subscribe for more uh, to hear our hot takes on these movies. Our last film we need to talk. Are we ready to move on? I don't want to. Uh, we're we're ready to move on. Okay, yeah, we're ready to move on. Our last film of the episode we're talking about Stephen King's uh, Paramount Pictures Pet Cemetery. Sometimes dead is better. So, Pet Cemetery is, of course, based on the Stephen King book of the same name. Uh, the story is this. Lewis Creed, his wife Rachel, their two children Gage and Ellie and their cat church move out to a rural area of maine because of course it's stephen king it's gotta be maine where they discover back behind their their their, their house and their 50 so acres of woods that there is a pet cemetery uh where local children and people bury their pets well they also find a very very lovely nice neighbor uh named, named judd played by john lithgow uh, who shows uh, um, um, Lewis one night the father of the of, of the of the house after their cat is unfortunately hit by a truck that you don't have to bury your pet in the pet cemetery. There's actually uh, there's actually another place nearby that might be just as good if not better. Uh, ultimately, we discover that maybe uh, maybe sometimes I guess the quote from the movie of course uh, sometimes dead is better uh, and that is. The, about all the setup I want to give for um, uh, Pet Cemetery. if you are over the age of, I think, 18 in America today, you probably know where that movie's headed. I'd be surprised if you didn't, but we don't want to talk about it because that's spoilery and we're not about that. So, Andy, what did you think of Pet Cemetery?
1: So, there's a lot in here that I think works really well. There's a, a lot of changes from the book. There's a, a number of things that don't. It does have a lot of good scares. It does have a lot of um, eerie moments and kind of just disturbing I- imagery and gore. But then it lacks kind of the character depth to m- really draw you in like a lot of other movies. So you know, you get a lot of a lot. Like I said, a lot of things work. A lot of things don't. That's kind of my overall view. Uh, what about you? What do you think?
0: I think similarly. Uh, I I there's a lot in this that I really appreciated there's a lot of scares that are really good there were moments in this movie where like i didn't want to look at the screen because i was afraid of what was going to happen next and like it's rare that, that a little movie like pet cemetery can do that to me um but there's a lot in this that didn't work at the same time there's a structurally there were problems the writing was an issue uh there were some changes from the original uh book and film that i think probably heard it in the end and uh, ultimately i think this is not nearly as memorable as it the other stephen king film that this immediately follows uh it's a swing and a miss for me but let's talk about why because it, it may not be for everybody and if you're a horror fan it might it might be for you so check this out sure what what did you think worked right let's start there what what works about pet cemetery as a film because there's some stuff that works
1: so I feel like like this the setting and and the scares uh, when they work they do a good job you know you're out in kind of this in rural Maine you uh, you know again a, a lot of Stephen King's works especially his his books deal a lot of um, with characters having visions or characters having kind of, you know, seeing things that aren't there. And that's where a lot of the horror comes from. And so we get a lot of that in, in the film as well. And that's an excellent place uh, to get some of these scares. There's some flashback things. There's, you know, some supernatural elements of things that you're seeing but aren't really there. And then there's dream sequences. You know, there's a couple of good jump scares. So the, so the horror element part of it, works that that delivers if you're wanting to see some scary stuff it's definitely there what it misses is creating that real dread, that, that mood, which is so important in horror. And that's usually a big part of it. A part of developing that is developing good characters and developing an in-depth mythos of whatever it is. And we don't really get that. We don't really get, you know, why, what is the, what is wrong with this land? What is wrong with this ground? You know, we, these are where we can get some sweet long expositions or flashback scenes of, you know, one thing or the other to really explain you know, just put a background on this thing, and and that's what it does so well, and that's why I, I think it doesn't work as well in this movie.
0: I think you just said that probably better than I ever could have, so I should probably just <laughs> Thank you. Leave that but, and move uh, on, but I don't want to talk about what I what I thought worked and what didn't work. And this is basically echoing what Andy just said. So for anybody who hears what I th- I said and, and might be confused, uh, just go back and uh, well done, Andy. Put a ball on that perfectly. But now I'm gonna unwrap it. Uh, I I think. What works in this movie is the scares. I thought a lot of the scares worked really well. And and just like Shazam, right? For every good laugh, there's a bad laugh. For every good scare, there's a lame scare, usually. Um, but for the most part, a lot of them were really effective because you don't know what's coming. And, and the biggest reason for that is because you're confused. And unfortunately, that's where the rest of the movie really starts to untangle. Because... I'm only confused at what's gonna happen next on screen because I don't know what to expect and I don't know what to expect because the movie hasn't given me any proper setting for expectation. There's this whole... Here's a fine example. There's this whole little uh, subplot with the mom and these repressed memories she has of of this traumatic experience that happened to her when she was a kid. And this shit has nothing to do excuse my language has nothing to do with the with the, with the main plot of the film the pet cemetery and 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 things coming back to life and then living out in the woods almost nothing at all and it is milked for scares for like a good 20 minutes of the runtime of the film. It just feels cheap. And I'm getting scared by a thing that is completely unrelated to the film, right? That's like if you had a rom-com and a character in there who'd had a really traumatic car accident when they were a kid. And so just halfway through the movie, you keep getting hard flashbacks of like loud car <laughs> crash. Like it's just like it's it's just kind of it's just it's not earned, I should say. It's not it's not yeah. an earned scare. And that happens in this movie a lot. The scares are good. But you didn't earn them. Like you didn't, you didn't set up the film for them. So that's really, I think, where this movie really suffers. And like, if you don't care, if you don't really care about plot, and you're just in for some good old fashioned scares, if you're looking for something to watch in October, Pet Cemetery might be a movie for you. But man, if you're looking any deeper than than the immediate surface, you're just going to be disappointed.
1: Yeah, it, it it really hurts the rewatchability. Um, you know, because again, the, everything moves so quickly that there, there's the pacing is a problem as well. But you just don't you don't establish um, Jason Clark's character uh, as Lewis. Um, John Lithgow playing the neighbor Judd is supposed to be a, a much more important character, and he is an important character. But he's this him and his relationship with the family is just not very well established. And it's I mean, considering he's the one who says, "Hey, let's 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 come and, and bury bury your cat here" instead of here and, and you know and it's like you, you know you you haven't built up the trust to like put your faith in this guy who's you know you hope is leading you into the woods to not murder you
0: right it feels like there's a cut of this movie that's an hour longer that they yeah. i and that they just took out for context or time i'm not sure but a fine example right the first time we really get to see and engage with john lithgow's character judd who do again i would argue is probably my favorite performance in the whole film he was great um Uh, he's out at the pet cemetery, uh, with the daughter Ellie and he's explaining to her, Hey, this is what the pet cemetery is. And, and the mom, Rachel comes out of the woods and and she sees him and she's like, okay, I don't know who this guy is. She's standoffish. She doesn't look him in the eye. She's Ellie. Let's get out of here. Totally. I totally get it. He's some redneck in the woods. I get it. That's exactly how he'd be. The next time he is on screen, no joke, without any like conversation about this guy in the woods or anything, the next time he's on screen, he's sitting at the dinner table with the whole family, including the dad and the son who he hasn't <laughs> met, and they're watching Ellie do ballet. It's like 10 minutes later in the film. And there's nothing... When did Rachel tell his, her, her husband, Louis, about the guy in the woods, Judd? When did they go over and confront him? When did they shake his hand and go, oh, you know what? This guy's not so bad. That just never happened. It's just okay, now he's now he's like a welcome member of the family. Like there should have been a whole scene there or a couple scenes and it just doesn't it just didn't happen. And like that that seems to happen in this movie a couple times and it really it really hurts that flow because again, when you get to something scary, you didn't work your way up to it. You didn't build up to that scare. Um so that that that, that really bummed me out, I guess.
1: Yeah, like from what I understand in the book, his relationship, the, or the relationship between uh, Judd and Lewis, Jason Clark's character, is supposed to be a real big deal because it's kind of like a father figure that he never had, this sort of thing. And it just, again, it just rushes so fast through that. It's just never really, like never established. Um, and, and to be fair, um, it's important to note that Stephen King has said that this is not he doesn't think that this is a really great story. He originally did not even submit it for publishing, mostly because he, he it just kind of uh, is really bleak all around. There's not a lot of redemptive qualities of the story or the book. So he he, he hung on to the screenplay for a little while before or the uh, the manuscript before submitting it. He finally had to because of a contract and, uh, you know, it turned into a big hit. But he'll still say, you know, that it's it's my most disturbing story and it's not necessarily – there's not a lot to take away from it so this definitely could have been done done better but it's it's also kind of a flawed story to begin with which is kind of interesting I
0: do want to talk about the performances real quick I know we didn't really dig into that uh, and just kind of the look of it in general I just quickly to look at look it looks good it it, it doesn't do anything incredible it's very very nuts and bolts uh, you know there's some green screen in there which is lame there's other things that are clearly shot in the woods and I appreciate it as far as the performance goes uh Jason man I, I can't even remember Clark. this guy's Thank you, Jason Clark. That guy's in so many movies, and my God, is he just the most forgettable? I, and I feel awful every time I say that. But Jason Clark was good. His wife, who I haven't seen much, is good. The two kids, fine. Uh, John Lithgow, good. I, I liked everybody in it. Um, it looked like they were they were doing a good job of reading that script and, and doing their thing. What'd you think?
1: He needed more spot. He needed more spots on his face. <laughs> John, John Lithgow. Oh God. Yeah. They, they made they they made him really spotty, and for some reason it it like cracked me up. Um. yeah I mean I thought the performances were fine there like I said there just wasn't n- enough there it moves so fast. it's like f- again this is the speed it's like oh they've just moved in the main oh he's fr- now ahead of the hospital oh now they're friends now they're you know it's just it goes so fast and like you said some of the production some of this I, a lot I did not feel I was in the woods very much a lot of the the particularly the scenes shot at night it looks They're like on you're yeah yeah clearly yeah. like
0: you're in the studio yeah
1: yeah it it loses that authenticity because like i said even though the story is flawed i think you you could still tell a compelling one and you could do it better than it was done in here
0: yeah it's got that classic problem of, of any of any like b b horror movie of something happens to a character Character thinks it's weird and then does nothing about it, and it's never addressed. And then later, when something bad happens to that character, it's like, well, maybe if you had told the whole family what it, that weird thing that had happened to you, maybe we could have done something about that. Like, and it just doesn't. It just ignores those. It ignores those essential elements for the sake of convenience, and that makes things feel um, just cheap. And that's a bummer. Uh, yeah. And that that extends to you're you're right. Like the this this set as well. Uh, it should have been slower. Like that was my biggest like and I hate to say this movie should have been longer, but really cut out the crap with like the 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 scares that are completely unrelated to the movie. Honestly, get rid of the whole trying to tell the origin story of of the woods at all because you don't do it right and it does the movie no favors. Way slow it down. Really drag those scares out. Like really just pull that tension as long as you can and hold it, you know, as long as you can on screen before you snap it with a scare. Like that's making a good horror movie, and this one just does not does not get there. It's a bummer following uh, uh, it. I think. Yeah,
1: it, it, Stephen King deserves better. <laughs> he, he could do better. And it, right, it feel it ends up feeling like a cheap, you know, a Blumhouse five million dollar movie, and you know, and it definitely w- was more than that. The other thing, you know, something like it, it has a lot of themes, which are things that I always look for. You know, it is is about uh abuse and trauma and overcoming fear and a lot of Stephen King's works are about other things than than what the movie's about not this one like i was hoping that you know maybe maybe the barrow ground represents this or i mean it's nothing there is nothing below the surface
0: right and like i you know there are there are horror movies like that and that's okay but like this just it doesn't do either well right it's not it's neither deep nor uh, particularly biting So ultimately, it's just kind of boilerplate and and lame.
1: Uh, Andy, are you ready for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Pet Cemetery? Um, you know, probably not. I mean, unless you're a diehard Stephen King fan or you're a big fan of, of the, the 1989 version. Um, there are good scares, but it, the movie itself is just really underwhelming and uh, is a bit of a disappointment. I was really hoping for more, you know, wait for streaming, wait for Netflix. If you're a big uh, fan, I wouldn't rush out and see it.
0: I would say yes with caveats or I guess no with caveats. If that makes sense, <laughs> I would say skip it. You don't have to go see it in the theater. But if you are a just a big horror fan and you just cannot get enough horror and you've got to <laughs> see more and or it's October and you're looking for you know just a scary flick to throw on you know in the background like sure in both cases this movie will work cuz the scares are okay they really are like there's some, there's there's some stuff in this movie that like genuinely you know got me got me shook but um it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work its way up to it and ultimately like the plot falls apart and it just feels shallow so uh, you know, take 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 it with a grain of salt, I guess. And with that, that wraps our show for the week. Our first show back in the apartments. It's been too long, Andy. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, if you want to hear more about what we're doing, if you want to uh, figure out. What you're seeing in summer or or, or whether or not uh, the Joker movie is going to be any good, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook. We're over there at offscriptfilmreview. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter as well. So come check us out and join the conversation. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for subscribing. We couldn't do the show without you, and we appreciate it. So th- thanks a lot, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, Andy? What are we seeing next week? That's an important thing, right? Yeah. Before you get too far away from
1: it. Yeah. So next week we're going to be seeing Laika's new uh, stop motion animated film, Missing Link. Yes. Uh, s- starring Hugh Jackman and uh, Zach Galifianakis. Yes. <laughs> um, and then of course we were also seeing uh, the Hellboy remake. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, the Hellboy remake is definitely a little bit more me. Uh, we talked about what we were going to see for the show, and, and Andy was like, well, there's a missing link, and then I guess we need to find something else. Hellboy? <laughs> uh, 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 I, I mean, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't look it great, makes but s- it's, it's directed by the guy who did The Descent, right? Like, it stars mm. David Harbour from from Stranger Things. Surely it's good. Um, it doesn't look great, but we'll see. <laughs> find out next week. Find out next week uh, on Offscript. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode talking about Missing Link and Hellboy. You don't want to miss it. We're going to figure out this whole this whole movie thing. The Death of Cinema, we're going to solve it in, in one episode. That'll be next week, so stay tuned. Uh, thanks for listening to Offscript uh, from all of us here at the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.